Welcome to episode number 19 of the Technician Academy podcast hosted by ASE Master Technician Richard Young. This episode is powered by AutopartsU.com. Quality reviews on quality parts for a quality price. AutopartsU.com. Today, Richard discusses the power of automotive repair videos with Eric Cook. Eric Cook, better known as Eric the Car Guy, talks about his presence on YouTube, the motivation behind his YouTube channels, as well as viewer demographics and the importance of technician training today. We hope that you enjoy episode number 19 of the Technician Academy podcast powered by AutopartsU.com. Welcome to today's Technician Academy podcast. We're fortunate enough to have Eric Cook, better known as Eric the Car Guy, with us today. And we're looking forward to this discussion and what Eric has to bring to us. Eric, welcome. How you doing? Great, great. How's the weather in Cincinnati? Actually, it's absolutely beautiful today. Great. So you got the doors open and enjoying enjoying the fresh air. I wish I could say that, but my kids have allergies, so no. <laughs> so, Eric, um, I was fortunate enough working at another man during my business at another manufacturer. Uh, first met you. You come in and done some video, and, and really, that's where I first got into what Eric the Car Guy was. So, give us a little bit of background about where you've been in the industry and where where you're at now, and and some of the things you've done and, and are doing. I started out as an automotive technician for real in 1996 after I graduated from Rosedale Technical Institute in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, since then, I have worked in independent shops, uh, mostly accurate dealership. I was like the bulk of my career for a while. I also worked in another import shop, um, just doing you know everything really, uh, especially at the dealership. I was the guy that you know handled the diagnostic stuff and the electrical stuff, the difficult stuff. We worked on a team system there. So there were a couple of guys that were better at doing, like, say, PDIs and adding accessories, and one was good at services. And so what I tried to do, I was a team leader there. What I tried to do is I tried to put people in places where they wanted to work, namely because it was to my benefit the more hours they made. Uh, so I, the, the solution to that was pretty much taking up all the crap that they didn't want to do. Uh, but, you know, it helped me hone my skills and things like that. Then... uh you know, I've, I've been doing that for a while. Working at the dealership kind of kind of wore me out a little bit, especially, you know, Acura Honda dealerships. It can be pretty repetitive, at least it was at that time in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, and then after that, I started uh, going back to my roots, which before I became an auto mechanic, I, was, uh, I went to art school. So I, I always had an interest in that. And I was hanging out with my friend at a computer store one day, which was not something I did all that often, and I discovered iMovie. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. So I started teaching myself how to edit video. And gradually over time, I, I did more and more of it. And to the point where I started my own video production company, where I was doing weddings, events, um, some corporate work, stuff like that. Then uh, I ended up leaving my job at that dealership. And I was sort of not wanting to really get back into the repair field as much. So I wanted to make a go with my video production career. But the problem was, is that was like the fall of 2008, and there was, uh, well, the bottom dropped out of everything, and video production was not really something people were looking for. So I, I went looking for another solution, and I was watching YouTube one day and saw there was a guy on there talking about how much money he made in a month from the videos that he had. Um, it was like $7,000 or something like that. And I said, you know what? 
I think I could take my video production skills, my skills as an auto mechanic, put those two things together, and Eric the Car Guy started in January of 2009, and since then I've continued to make videos, and, and here we are. Yeah, and and uh, how many videos do you have now? I mean, in in 2009, so we're eight years worth of video. How many total videos do you got out there? Well, on Eric the Car Guy, there's over 800, and on ETCG1, there's a couple hundred there as well. So I've got more than 1,000 out there. Okay. Uh, ETCG1, for those listeners, explain what that is. Well, after doing you know, just basic repair videos and things, I found that, you know, that there were other things that I wanted to do that didn't necessarily fall within that context. So I decided to start another channel that was more based on discussion and more based on, you know, other things besides repair videos. And that's when I started the ETCG1 channel in 2010. Okay. So they're, they're more, I mean, some personal interests, some interest within the industry and, and different things that you wanted to shoot video on is it's not just automotive then. Well, it's, it's, Automotive related in the sense, I mean, I cover topics like, you know, the flat rate system, what it's like to work as a technician, uh, but also things like when my car breaks down, I talk about that experience or say I go and on a trip or something like that that might be automotive related. I might share that on ETCG1. Uh, I went to Finland uh, last year, so that was covered there, that type of thing. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Subscribers. Where are you at on subscribers now? I don't know. I'm somewhere close to a million on ETCG and, uh, about 130,000 on ETCG1. Okay. Wow. So obviously you've, you've developed an interest. You took two interests and, and put them together and created, created a career. Video is powerful and we all know that, but how powerful do you think it is for the automotive industry? Well, I, I think it's become a lot more relevant because in the past, one of the reasons I gravitated toward it was because I, I have difficulty reading. I also have difficulty spelling. Some might say I have dyslexia, but it's never been formally diagnosed. That being said, when I used to sit down early in my career and try to read repair manuals and the step-by-step instructions and things, it, it didn't always make sense. And I found myself looking at the pictures more to try to get the information that I needed to you know, get whatever it was that I was fixing fixed. So having something like video that can walk you through step-by-step it works really well for people like me that, that may have a little bit of difficulty visualizing when they're reading and doing stuff like that. So it's become a really important tool, I think, because even the, the factory training that I was getting, they pretty much sat us down and made us watch a bunch of videos. And I think that that, that has been long understood as, as one of the better ways to convey the kind of information that, that goes along with automotive diagnosis and repair, because it's, it's, sometimes complex, sometimes abstract stuff, especially when you get involved in electronics or, or performance diagnosis, things like that. And those concepts aren't always easy to grasp. So I, I think videos are a really great way to bridge that gap and, and offer up the information in a very um, palatable way to where people can absorb it. Yeah. And, and uh, kind of to your point of, I think the description you made of, you know, not wanting to read or as much I think that describes a lot of the automotive technicians out there is we're, we're hands-on people. Um, so video, and correct me if I'm wrong, but video is as close to hands-on as that technician can get at that point. To an extent, yes. In my videos in particular, I try to make it as real as possible, meaning that you know, a, a lot of videos that you see are produced on auto repair, say the factory training. Let's, let's talk about that. 
that stuff is highly polished, highly edited, and it's it's targeted towards a certain topic. And you know, it says X, Y, and Z. And if you run into A, B, and C, this is what you do. Whereas the real world is okay. Well, you know, on that diagram you showed me in that video, it was really easy to see that connector. But where the heck is that? Right. And while I'm you know digging under the carpet, I find that you know, oh, it looks like rodents have gotten into the wiring harness, or you know, you need to remove a panel, but it's an old rusty car and you can't remove the panel without heating it up. <laughs> yeah. You know, something like so it's that's that's what I try to leave in my videos. Also the mistakes. Because I, I don't really know anybody that's perfect. I'm certainly not perfect when it comes to this kind of stuff. Not to mention there's a hundred different ways of doing the same thing. Uh, although there will be certain people out there that will argue, you know, to their last breath that their way is the only way. I feel that there are a lot of different ways to approach problems and, and ways of doing things. So it's 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 open to interpretation. And I think video is, once again, a great way to bridge that gap. You say, you know, as far as real-world experience, I think that depends on how it's produced because sometimes it's produced to make a better video and make it easier to understand, but it may not necessarily be it may not necessarily mirror reality. Well, and and that's one thing I do appreciate about your videos, and, and I've been fortunate enough to to watch a f- several of them. And having video experience myself, I think it's it's very important to show that you know well, that connector's up on the top and behind something. It's really not that it looks good on a diagram, but mm-hmm. to get to it, it's a real pain, and you're gonna you know you're gonna scrape a knuckle trying to get to it, and and showing that on video and showing the mistakes. Yeah, I, I think uh, we've all twisted the bolt off or uh, got frustrated because something doesn't come apart the way we want it to. And being able to show that on video really adds uh, the real world aspect to it. So, uh, yeah, I commend you for that. Well, like I said, there's also a lot of different ways of doing things. Say, for instance, the wiring diagram says that this connector is you know, where you got to go to do your testing. Well, if it's easier to find a different connector that's more accessible that you can get the same information from, why not do that? Yeah, and we've all, especially uh, if, if you're in the OE world, you find those ways to uh, to shortcut. Not necessarily shortcut. Shortcut's not the word to use. Find an easier way to do it, but still have a valuable repair once you're done. I like the word efficiency. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, whenever, whenever they used to, when I was at the dealership and they're like, wow, you're fast. And I was like, no, I'm efficient. Yeah. Because fast sort of connotates that you're rushing through things, and, and I think that's where you're going with that. But to be efficient may mean that you're saving time, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're fast. And, and sometimes in a dealership environment, you can do this, and I was able to do it. After a certain amount of times of doing the same thing, you develop a certain muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And that muscle memory helps develop that efficiency. And that also works with diagnostics as well, especially if you're working on the same car line day in and day out. You really develop a feel for the pattern failures and the, the things that, that you run into. So it, it makes that process more efficient. By proxy, it's also faster, but that's not the word. I, I sort of agree with you on that. Yeah, and and I, I think that, um, well, going back to dealer experience, especially if you're doing warranty work, you have to do it efficiently, and that does translate to getting it done quick or quicker. Uh, because, uh, in, in the dealer world under warranty, you're always fighting that six minute clock. And, uh, so yeah, being efficient when I first started in this industry, just side note, 30 plus years ago as a technician, I worked beside a gentleman and when I moved to the dealership, he, uh, 
he was very efficient. Uh, he had been in the dealership for quite some time. And when he got ready to, whatever it was, take a water pump off or, you know, an alternator or pull an intake, he put the tools he needed on his roller cart and went over and never left the front of the vehicle until it was done. Um, you know, having that knowledge and that being efficient, uh, knew what he needed and the, and the quickest way to do it safely. So I would do the same thing. Load my cart with all the tools I needed and head over to the car and do what I needed to do and then fill out the paperwork, yeah. which sometimes longer than the actual repair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is very true. Paperwork is one of those things that sometimes take up some time when you're in the repair bay. Um, yeah, I can pay for it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you're on Technician Academy and, and in the automotive industry, you've been in it for quite some time now. And, and I want to commend you on your website, ericthecarguy.com. Just the content that you've got on there is not only valuable to the average car owner, but it creates value to the technician. What made you, I mean, there's quite an investment of time in that site. What, what drove you to want to get that site to where it is? Well, first of all, thank you for that. And it took about two years to get it to the the well, it's always a volume evolving, but where it is now, it took about two years to make that. I think I'm speaking specifically about the FAQ articles. Uh, basically, I wrote a book and broke it down into different categories and made it searchable and, and made it hopefully user-friendly to those people that, that need that help. And this basically arose from the fact that as my popularity on YouTube grew, I found my inbox got really filled up with people asking questions and sometimes a lot of similar questions about similar problems. And I thought maybe the best way to handle this is to create a place to where I've answered all these questions ahead of time so that I can direct people to uh, those answers and I can do it a lot more efficiently because I was literally spending entire days just going through email trying to, you know, help these people. So now what I have is I have, you know, something of a form letter which basically has all the links to all those different categories of common problems and things I've been asked about. Also, just in general, it, it covers the questions that I get asked, and it's just so much easier to copy and paste that than it is to you know answer each and every question individually. So in a way, it, it sprang out of necessity, but I believe it's you know offered, like you said, a little bit of value out there to, to people that are just in general interested in learning more about how these systems work and how to repair them. Yeah, and, and I find in my experience is, uh, you know, younger people, and I, and I try to hesitate to stay away from the word millennial, but younger people that uh, aren't necessarily car savvy and they weren't able to be out in the garage with their dad working on a car, so they're really not really familiar with a vehicle. Sites like yours really kind of bridges that gap, uh, helps them to... And, and I know as a technician, when I get a customer in, being able to explain to them what's happening to their car and then then be able to research that and see that on sites like yours, you know, it really adds a, a level of comfort for them when they're, when they're getting their car repaired. So, yeah, I mean, that's, again, I commend you for that. Um, so, really, your YouTube channel, when did you start that? It was January 2009. 2009. So... I would say you were probably one of the first, uh, really, that were intent on, on providing some automotive help. Yeah, the only other person I could think of at the time was Scotty Kilmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you might kind of might say you're a pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I've met you, and you don't necessarily fit the pioneer image. but uh, And I don't mean that in a bad way. 
Eric, but that is big, boy. Uh, you know, but in in this in this realm, you were uh, you realized the need, and you had the abilities to provide for that need. And and I again, I commend you on that. And and I am sure there's a lot of people out there. I'm not just myself, but a lot of people out there that are thankful that you had those videos up there to help them. On the, on the same token, I'm also grateful to them because at the time I started there at the car guy, I was. And financially, in a very bad way, I declared bankruptcy. I'd lost everything. I used to have a house, all that stuff. All of that went away, and I was basically looking for some way to get out of the hole that I was in and not have to work a job anymore. And YouTube was an opportunity that I saw that I threw myself into and was fortunate enough to be successful with. You know, a lot of people have tried what I've done and may not necessarily be successful. In fact, if I tried to do what I've done today, I don't think I'd be able to do it. Uh, there's a lot more people doing it, uh, trying to do it. YouTube has changed. You know, there's it, it's a very different landscape. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have come up with what I believe to be the right idea at the right time. And in the process, I was able to help a lot of people. So through helping others, I managed to help myself and, you know, develop a better life as a result. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's a great testament. So... As you're aware, I mean, Technician Academy's focus is the technician, both of today and tomorrow. Uh, we we go around, we put on training courses at community colleges for tomorrow's technicians, and, and then we offer training courses for uh, current technicians also. But what do you, I mean, having been in the industry, and yeah, you, you're, you don't consider yourself a technician today, what do you believe that the value of a trained technician is to the automotive industry? Well, I think automotive technicians have tremendous value, not just in the automotive realm, but just, you know, the, the good ones that are out there are really good critical thinkers and can solve a lot of problems beyond just automotive. Um, I think they're extremely valuable people, but I don't think that they're valued as much uh, in society. And I, I think that's, I, I don't agree with that. In fact, I, I recently posted a video about uh, the labor shortage, and I was talking about some of the reasons for that. And I think the perception is, is the mechanics don't have value, or that when the people that are necessarily technically savvy, they have a breakdown with their vehicle, and then they're at a position of disadvantage, and the person they have to go see is someone that they that is in a profession that's not necessarily trusted in society, because some have taken advantage of that. I'm not saying that, that those you know fears aren't without merit. What I'm saying is, is that just the general perception, this blanket perception about technicians and, and people who work in the automotive field is that, you know, we, we don't deal with them unless we have to. But I'm, I'm afraid that we're getting to a place and we will continue to, to move in this direction and there will be a lot less of them around. And as a result, their value will increase, but the fact that less and less people seem to be getting into the industry is, is concerning to a lot of people. Yeah, and, and that video you spoke of about the labor shortage, I'd like to provide the link to that on this podcast at the end of this podcast when we do the press release to make sure people see that so the the one that came after that was my response to it about becoming an entrepreneur we'll need to provide both links uh because we definitely want people to understand that there's value in in the information you bring i mean it's, it's another perspective that people need to look at especially those that are in the industry it's been so frustrating to me as long as i've been in the industry that i hear this technician shortage and, and I, i'll be honest i was hearing the words technician shortage eight ten years ago back then well everyone would say well the industrial will find a way to fix it well 
really, who is the industry? It's everyone that's in it. Uh, so we have to work together to, to help solve that. What what do you think has led to this technician shortage? And, and I agree, it's coming to a critical mass. Uh, well, several factors. Uh, first of all, as, as stated, I, I don't see, well, as I stated in that video, I don't see that there's a lot of interest in automotive like there was, say, when I was growing up. I grew up in a small town, and in order to see your friends, you know, a town over, you either had to ride your bike for a really long time or you get a car. And the car that you got was probably a hand-me-down and not that great a car, so you probably had to learn how to fix it. And you might have learned how to fix it from, you know, a parent, whether it's a mom or a dad or somebody like that. And, you know, that that bonding time or whatever contributed to your interest in automotive. Also, you know, high schools, as far as their vocational programs, it seems that the budgets for these things have been cut and they're trying to conform more towards educational standards as opposed to career standards uh, like there once was. So I think that's the start of it. But I think the biggest issue is, as you mentioned earlier, warranty and also the pay that technicians are receiving. I mean, what motivation does somebody have to learn the kind of technical skills that are required to be an effective automotive technician and make pay less than or equivalent to what you make at a fast food restaurant? So it's, you know, it's, it's really kind of a catch-22 because I realize that, you know, auto repair is expensive. It's expensive for, you know, the, the proprietors and the dealerships and all those kinds of things, the overhead that they have to maintain and, but it doesn't seem the technicians are, are getting anything more out of it. It seems like more and more either their pay is staying the same or going down. So there's very little motivation for those two people who are even interested in getting into the field to get into it because they're going to have to struggle to make a living, not to mention having to pay for tools. So there's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's as far as just a career proposition, the automotive side of things doesn't seem to be where it's at, at least for me. You know, in fact, I advise people that come to me and say, you know, I want to become an automotive technician. I say, you know what? That's cool, but consider diesel. At least look into it. Because it seems the diesel market is the growing market these days. But automotive seems to have lost its way in my mind. Yeah, and, and you mentioned, you know, pay. I, I truly believe, and in, I think we're working with a 30-year-old outdated system. Um, Agreed. You know, the flat rate... Yeah, I can. I, I look at things as a flat rate technician, and that kind of goes back to what we was talking about being efficient. Uh, that's what flat rate taught me is to be efficient with every movement. You know, if I'm going from the toolbox to the car, what do I need to take with me? When I'm going from the car back to the toolbox, what do I take with me? When I'm going to the parts counter, what do I take with me and what do I bring back? Being efficient in every movement that we do, that's what flat rate taught me. But it also taught me that because I was at, in the dealership at the time whenever, you know, warranty rates kept dropping and, and they still do today, you know, and, and so you're constantly fighting that and being at that time, I was the young guy on the, on the list. And, and so what did I get? I, I got the warranty stuff. And when you're a young man trying to compete and, and make a living and, and the tools, you know, that you've got, uh, you're making $30,000 a year, maybe, and you've got $30,000 worth of tools to buy. Uh, it's just, there needs to be some changes there. I, I agree with that. So do you, I mean, and, and what you mentioned about um, going into diesel, that's a very good point. I mean, light diesel right now is is a sought after category. Uh, I know 
I got some friends, uh, several people that are college instructors, and that's one of the new programs that every college is trying to incorporate is a light diesel program just because of the requests they're getting from the industry around them. So, yeah, there is some demand there. I don't think it's just light diesel. I think it's just diesel in general. I mean, think about it. Everything in your life was on the back of a diesel truck at one point or in the back or in a ship or in a train. And all those things ran on diesel, not to mention construction equipment. So, so much of the things in our lives, as far as automotive diesel is concerned, because of what happened with Volkswagen recently, I don't really see that that's going to take off. However, as far as everything else goes, that seems to be a growing industry. So that's, that's why I steer people in that direction if they're mechanically inclined, because I think they'll end up making a much better living as a result. Yeah, and, and in my area, I'm in a very rural area, um, you know, a lot of cornfield, a lot of bean fields, and there's a lot of diesel pickups. And that's that's uh, where a lot of these community colleges are getting this demand from is the repair shops in this area. They don't have anybody to work on those diesel pickups. And, uh, and they can be uh, as difficult or more difficult to diagnose at times than, than a gas engine. So, Well, the, I think the skills transfer fairly easily. It's just a question of a paradigm of saying, okay, well... You know, I, I love working on cars, but, uh, and, and I sort of went through this myself. The program that I went to, there were a few classes I had to take in diesel. And yeah, it was cool, but I had always had my sights set on automotive. Um, but had I set my sights on diesel, I mean, things would have turned out very differently. I'm certain of that. And it just seems like there's more opportunities there. It seems, it seems the automotive industry in general is moving towards a more modular approach to their vehicle designs meaning that instead of designing them, you know, is designing them more like appliances and components that make up that appliance. And rather than having it be through some long diagnostic troubleshooting thing that, that costs the dealership, costs the manufacturer and everybody money, it seems they're making vehicles with these modular systems to where if something is at fault, you just replace the whole system rather than try and diagnose and repair it. And I think that is also contributing to, you know, the drop in wages and everything else because the manufacturers are, are getting away from the quote-unquote art of diagnosis and mechanics. And it's like, okay, here's a code. And, you know, I fell into this trap myself at the dealership. Here's a code, throw a part at it. You know, and, and 90% of the time you're right, but it's that other 10% that, you know, separates the men from the boys. Also, you know, the money spent there, eh. But once again, when you're talking flat rate and you're talking efficiency, you're trying to get from the shortest route from point A to point B, and you're, you're trying to get there. And the industry seems to, or at least the manufacturers seem to be moving in that direction, at least in my mind, to where we're going to give you a code, you're going to replace a component, you're going to write it up, and we're going to pay you three times. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, I, and I agree with that. That's that's very true. Uh, and they continue to that. I've seen that trend probably three four years ago and and it's just compounded in the last four years uh one thing you mentioned earlier and i want to bring back up is image i don't believe we as an industry have been very good at promoting our image and and what we actually have to do when it comes to repairing a vehicle what's your thoughts on that well with my air at the car guy channel i've been trying to change that image and i have to some degree but that's that's part of what i think will will help change things is to, to show the public and the world at large that we're not out to rip them off or take their money. We're, you know, we're out to make a living, uh, but also we're here to help, you know, more than anything else. 
And I think you know, people that have a desire to get into auto repair do have an innate desire to help people, at least on some level, to start with. Otherwise, why would you go out of your way to try to, you know, fix somebody else's, you know, car? So it's uh, I, I agree with you that the industry itself hasn't really made an effort. There are certain individuals within the industry that try very hard that I've seen that that work really, really hard. And uh, Pete Meyer comes to mind. Uh, Pete Kim that are out there, you know, trying to put the best face possible on, you know, what it is to be a good technician, trying to be a good role model, that type of thing. Uh, but that's mostly for other technicians and people interested in the industry. Um, also, Audra Forden, uh, who's from Women Auto Know, she's out of uh, New York. Uh, she spent a lot of time on talk shows and things like that, trying to, you know, put a different face. She has a female perspective on auto repair, which I find very refreshing and interesting. And I think, you know, there's a huge untapped market that we really haven't you know, explored as much. It's always been, you know, a boys' club, it seems, as far as auto repair goes. But I think girls are just as capable. In fact, I taught my daughter how to weld. And she was driving at 11, <laughs> not on the road. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but, you know, stuff like that. You know, that's, it's really, it's really on the parents, you know, to, to try and, you know, encourage their kids or at least show them that there's other options besides getting a college degree. That, that not only that, that if something breaks in your life, you're not helpless, that you can actually work the problem. You know, and, that, and that's where I think the disconnect is, is just society in general doesn't really see repair as something that's viable. It's broken, throw it away, get another one. Yeah. So, it's, you know, that's not helping. Well, I mean, and it's true. Society has, has programmed itself to go that way. I remember, this is really going to date me, but I remember when a cigarette lighter was something you put fluid in and... and people used to light their cigarette and then they went to a Bic lighter and it was just throw it away when it was done. And, and I think society has just over time adopted that into about every category that we have. And repair is something that's not, I mean, we didn't get this image overnight and it's not going to be fixed overnight, but I think there's a lot of people out there and some that you mentioned that are working towards changing that image. And it's very refreshing to see that. So that kind of leads me into my next question is, is how do we solve this? technician shortage how do we how do we get more people and you know here at technician academy we look at and that's the reason for doing the uh, community college uh classes and, and the training is to help get more people involved into this automotive industry so how do we help solve that well first let's stop making fast and furious movies <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think that perpetuates a stereotype that is completely unrealistic and that's part of the problem is expectation and the unrealistic expectations that are out there, both on the industry and the manufacturers and the people getting into the industry. I mean, there's there's a big disconnect between the reality and, and what we're seeing. So maybe that's a good place to start, is is showing more of the reality of what it is and, and dealing with those things head on. Um, we, we talked about warranty work and technician pay also coming into play. I mean, there aren't going to be people interested in, in getting a job to where they have to pay out, you know, 50, 100 bucks a week in tools uh, perpetually on top of working their butts off to try to make at least 40 hours just to make a paycheck out of warranty work. You know, there's, it's, we've got a long way to go before we become Scotty on the Enterprise. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And eventually when we get to that Scotty on the Enterprise, that guy will have respect because the entire crew depends on him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But we're, we're not there yet because the way we see it, like, oh, the car's broken, uh, let's just get another one, you know, or, you know, something of that nature. 
So yeah. it's, I don't think there are easy solutions, but, you know, let's look at what people gravitate towards. They gravitate towards movies. They gravitate towards media. So they, we sort of need artists to come in and, and represent the industry as something more than just some, you know, greasy guy driving a fast car, you know, that's, that's you know jumping off a cliff and somehow able to drive away and <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, like it that. needs to be some realism there uh there's not a lot of realism in those movies well and, you know okay they're movies i get it but yeah, i mean as far as the way i see things i see things through the lens of somebody who is a content creator somebody who produces things and and there i use the word influencer and if, if that's what my mandate is then then i'm going to try to put the best face on that possible but i'm just one person yeah. and you know, okay, I've affected some people and, you know, perhaps they will go off and do their own thing and, and once again help that whole thing grow from there. But and like you said, there really isn't an easy solution, but it's it's societal and it's something that I think is going to take time. Yeah, it's definitely going to take time. Uh, you know, one of the things, one of the recent things, uh, statistics that I got was 60% of the students that go through an automotive program leave the industry within the first year. And I think we've We've kind of discussed why they do that, but how do we get them involved and excited? You know, one of the things that I was recently at a high school program and, and talking to those students and, and I started talking about LIDAR and, and radar and advanced systems, telecommunications, their eyes really lit up. Do you feel that that's something that we really need to be promoting about the vehicle of today? Well, that stuff is there, and the people that are interested are going to seek out that information, and of course their eyes are going to light up about that stuff, but the reality of it is that the only times they'll ever mess with those systems are when they're under warranty, and then they'll have to figure it out from there. So the motivation to get into the field and start working on those systems isn't there, mainly because of the pay. So if you understand those systems, and you can diagnose those systems, why waste your talent in the automotive field? Why not go to something that's got higher pay? Why not go into, you know, some other industry where those skills are quote-unquote valued monetarily so that you can make a decent living? You know, as opposed to, like I said, struggling every week to pay the bills and then also paying for tools on top of that perpetually. I mean, it's not very enticing when you look at the reality of it, which is why they get into it for a year and they're like, you know, hey, (laughs) I'm out here sweating or freezing, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And I'm paying for all these tools, and I still don't have enough, and it never seems like I'm going to have enough. My boss is telling me to hurry up, and things that I don't necessarily understand how to do, which I'm trying to learn, and the other people I'm working with, they're also trying to make a living, so they're not going to give me a whole lot of time. You know, it's just, like you said, the industry as a whole, and maybe it starts with, you know, revamping the flat rate system, and or just the, pay, the way technicians are paid. Yeah, I recently had a podcast with Joe and Nick Barton. Uh, he runs a, a, a successful shop. Uh, one of the things he said, and, and I've thought about it several times, and I want to get your opinion on it, was he believes that this technician shortage will sort itself out, kind of the supply and demand theory. You know, qualified technicians will demand a higher pay, and, and that pay will be translated to the cost to the, uh, the vehicle owner. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, like I said, I think the manufacturers are going towards a more modular approach, so they don't need those people. I, I think the manufacturers are, are basically designing good technicians out of their products, just because it's easier to hire somebody for less money to change parts than it is to have somebody who's smart enough to know how the system works and repair it. Maybe have one of those people at a dealership, and that's it, but have 10 other technicians who are really good parts changers. 
Yeah, that's that's a different way. That's a way that I hadn't really thought about looking at it. Um, and, and, and of course, I deal a lot with independent garages and shops and and uh you know they're they're concerned with what's what's coming down in the future uh you know how to how to work on the connected car and and such but you're right i mean the dealership the oe manufacturers are, are kind of driving that a little bit and maybe taking some of that expertise out well not to mention they're making everything proprietary i mean as far as the independent repair shop they get hurt the worst the worst as far as first of all trying to find qualified people because they can't necessarily pay the same way the dealership would. Uh, however, I think young people getting into the street, into the industry can learn a lot more from an independent shop working on a wide variety of vehicles. Although that's debatable because if you know a car line as intimately as you can at a dealership, you learn a lot about a lot of different systems. However, it makes you highly specialized, which can in and of itself make you, you know, breed in some sort of weakness. But yeah, you're right. The independent shops, and what they have to deal with and, and the knowledge that they have to pay for uh, is, you know, growing exponentially. And with the dealerships making things more and more proprietary, you know, there's there's some room in there for companies to come out like, you know, uh, Mitchell and Identifix and all those people to try to fill in that knowledge gap to try to give them that information. But, uh, you know, at the, at the core of every repair is knowing how the system works. And if you don't know how the system works, you're not going to be effective at repairing it. And if the people that are making the vehicle are making it difficult for you to get that information because they want people to go to their dealerships and not go to you, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're one small shop and competing against a multinational company. That's that's not a fight people can win, I don't think. One thing you, you mentioned there, and, and I've seen it several times, I, I, I've, I've known technicians and still know several technicians that worked at one car line, uh, whether it be Ford, General Motors, Chrysler, Toyota, whatever. Uh, and they were almost handicapped when they had to work on something else, a different car line, uh, because they get into that muscle memory, that repetitive motion of, okay, the car's doing this. This is the problem. Here's how we fix it. We replace this or we find the, the broken wire here at this connector and, and we solve that. So I think, I think there's a big difference between a lifelong OE tech and a lifelong independent tech. Huge difference. Um, Huge difference. But you may be, you know, I hadn't really thought about the modular replacement theory and how that's going to change the independent world. It's going to, it's obviously changing the OE dealership world, uh, but it is going to change the, the independent world also. Yeah, just by proxy. Because, like I said, I, I think they're, they're catering to the appliance mentality of vehicles. And as a result, you know, if it's broken, and the value of the repair exceeds the vehicle, well, we'll put the customer in a new vehicle. It might even be that simple. I mean, if you've got modular vehicles to the point where you can say, well, I don't like my sedan anymore. Can you turn it into a pickup truck? And that could be done. Um, what else is there? <laughs> like I said, you're <laughs> yeah. going to have highly skilled parts changers. Yeah. I yeah. think is, is what it will eventually be. And and as far as the pay and what they get paid, well, we'll have to see how that pans out. But, you know, from what I'm seeing in the industry, they're making a lot of cool technical stuff, but they're not putting out, you know, ways to fix it in the same way that they're developing the technologies. I think they're compartmentalizing it, and as a result, they're making it so that their dealerships don't have to maintain highly skilled technicians. Only one or two mm-hmm. is all they'll need. That's a very interesting uh interesting thought and it makes me think about it and really i need to step back and analyze that and and look at that and how that is affecting 
uh, the industry. That's that's uh, very thought provoking. So I, I get that a lot from my viewers. My viewers are very good at letting me know what's happening out in the world, uh, and and I listen, and and that's what I'm hearing more and more of. That's good. I mean, it, and and having that feedback that's extremely important. Especially for what you're doing. I mean, uh, you're able to, I'm sure you look at, you know, the feedback and and you replace this or repair this particular vehicle. And you get feedback and want to see, well, I want, I've got this vehicle. How do I do it for this vehicle? Does that help you drive what the next piece is that you do? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The audience feedback that I get really does help drive a lot of what I do, actually, because that's what I do. I mean, I I produce content. uh, I engage the audience or I don't. And I work with, uh, well, I try to capitalize on what works and I try to leave behind what doesn't. That's great. It's a completely different thing than auto repair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have experienced that and experiencing it regularly anymore. Uh, it, it is different than auto repair, but there are a lot of the basics that maybe it's not working on a car, but it's uh, that can be transferred. For oh, lack yeah. Of a better term. Well, one of the, I mean, I took my skills with auto repair. And, well, before I got into auto repair, like long before, I, I used to paint houses. Uh, so after I became a technician and started making a little money, I started buying real estate. And I was able to take my repair skills and transfer them to things like plumbing and electrical wiring and carpentry and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, it's, I think it's a mindset that you develop. It's not just, you know, you're a skilled mechanic. You can transfer some of those skills over to other um uh, you know, professions or, or whatever. Uh, and of course, buy more tools. <laughs> well, yes. And that's, uh, that is something that we're very good at. I, I can't speak for you, but I, I am very good at, uh, well, I, I think I need that tool to do this. And, and though you're exactly right. The skill set transfers over from if you're fabricating a, a clutch linkage, well, how are you going to fabricate this door opening that is in a unique place, your carpentry skills. So that those same skills transfer over. So when we start talking about fabricating, I know something that's near and dear to you is is the project that you've got going. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Fairmont. The Fairmont. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a newsletter uh, last month, and I called it the Fairmont Project, my white whale. And it is. I've learned so much from this. And, and but as a summary to those who are not familiar with it, uh, I've taken a 1979 Ford Fairmont, and I'm turning it into a sleeper meaning a car that doesn't look fast, it goes fast. And the Ford Fairmont does not look fast. It does not look sexy. It is anything but a sought-after vehicle for automotive performance enthusiasts. Uh, And that's the point. For me, you know, I've I've seen a million Mustangs, a million Camaros, a million, you know, Dodge whatevers. They're all awesome. They're all cool. But I don't feel like that's me. I feel like I kind of like to go under the radar. I, I like to think of myself as something of a sleeper. So I decided to build this car. Well, initially, I set out to make it easy. I bought a 79 Fairmont that had a decent body with it. Uh, Actually, a very decent body that's surprisingly good for its age and very little rust. And, you know, I love the car just in general. I just, it's antique white. It's, It's exactly what I was going for, as unassuming as you could possibly get an old man's car. And then I was going to uh, find a Mustang powertrain and put it into it because the, one of the, the biggest appeal to me about the Fairmont is it's a Fox body, which is the same platform for Mustangs from 79 all the way up through 92 or 93. I can't remember exactly which, but so they, the Fox body platform ran for a really long time. 
There's a whole lot of Mustangs that fall within that, and there's a ton of stuff available in the aftermarket for it. But knowing that all the parts that are on a Mustang can transfer over to the Fairmont easily, I bought myself a, a parts car Mustang that was rough on the outside but seemed to have a good powertrain. So the initial idea was just to take the engine, uh, the V8 engine, and the five-speed transmission out of the Mustang tra- and the rear end and transfer it over to the Fairmont, you know, just sort of put all that stuff underneath. Well, turns out I bought the wrong Mustang because when, when I took the engine apart, I found that it had been sitting in a junkyard and had puddles of water inside the cylinders for a while and basically rented the block to be junk. Well, after that happened, I said, well, I got to I gotta figure this out. And I was talking to my engine builder, and he said, hey, you should just get another block. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to get another block, well, why don't we just up the A a bit and add a turbo? Well, that <laughs> turn of phrase... That's my wallet and my direction and a tear odyssey, <laughs> which has led me all the way up until yesterday, where I was, for the first time, have the car together, fueled fluids in it, everything, was ready to start it up, um, but I got no spark. <laughs> and I think I either got a bad coil or a bad ignition box, unfortunately, but yeah, it's it's a couple, now it's got a roll bar, it's got a really kick butt rear end and rear suspension and maximum motorsports front and rear suspension. Uh, like I said, a single turbo V8 that makes 575 horsepower, 622 pound feet of torque, uh, TKO 600 transmission behind that, uh, which is a five speed and 355 gears in the rear. It's, it's meant to be a well and AC. So it's meant <laughs> to be something that at least at this point, I'm, I want to take it on the power tour next year. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the direction. It's the perfect car for that. It's got AC and it's, you know, it can go quick. Yeah. I, and I've, I've spent a lot of time like crafting every system so that it's not only reliable, but also very serviceable. So with this car, I wasn't trying to make it pretty. In fact, I've done nothing cosmetically to the vehicle whatsoever, but I have done a lot of things to where if I had to fix it, I could fix it, you know, and, and relatively easily without having to tear the whole thing down. Or even if I did have to tear the whole thing down, I made it so that I could go back and tear it apart. So I, I, I went into it with the mindset of, okay, what if I have to go back and fix, fix this at some point? How am I going to do it? So in a way, it's really opened my eyes to how vehicles are put together and made. I've never built a car like this before. I've always wanted to, but I, you know, I knew I was going to be in for some work, but I didn't realize it'd be in for this much work, and I didn't realize that it would take over my channel the way it did. And I feel like I've gone down a rabbit hole and I'm not quite to the end yet, but once I do, I want to come out and do things way differently because it's, it's been a lot of unexpected twists and turns. But as I said, I've learned so much from this. I've learned more from building this car than I have in working on cars for 20 years. Yeah. And, and I think you've said that a couple of times in the videos. And, and by the way, I do, uh, I do occasionally when I get a moment, I, I want to always check and see if there's an updated video for the Fairmont because it, it, it has been interesting to watch. Having having not built a, a particular vehicle like that myself, I mean, I've I've been in part of uh, drag cars and 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 mud racing, but uh, never really built a vehicle to be on the street and and be able to do what the Fairmont should be able to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I commend you on that project, and and I understand the, the fact of going down a rabbit hole. Sometimes we do that, uh, but I don't think in in this situation, I think it's been a learning experience for everyone that that views it. So I, I do commend you for that too. So the Fairmont, would you consider that started out as a hobby or did it did it never was a hobby? It was just a project. Well, 
one of the things that got me into my automotive career is ever since I was, ever since I could drive, even before I could drive, my dad gave me his 1972 Galaxy 500 winter car uh, when I was 15. But I didn't have a license or anything yet, so I would just sit out in the backyard, sit in the car, turn on the radio, and play with the windshield wipers and the headlights and stuff like that until I actually could drive it. So I was always interested in cars ever since I was a kid. In fact, that Gary Newman song describes me to a T. So that's the song Cars, if you're not yeah, familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yes. Well, you are, but people listening might not be. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, now we're showing our age a little bit, yes. A couple of years ago that came out. Uh, anyway, you know, ever since that time, I, I just always thought to myself, well, you know, cars are cool. And, you know, and the, like I said, the Galaxy I had, and it was V8. It was, it was totally huge. <laughs> but I loved, I loved it, you know, and it was a total piece of crap, too. But that didn't matter. What, what mattered was that I loved it, and I always wanted to take it and make it into something more. Well, I, I tried to build a 72 Galaxy a few years ago. In fact, I dropped the 429 with a C6 transmission and a 9-inch rear end in it. And that's as far as I got. I had to sell it when I lost everything. And I said at that time, I was like, I'm giving up this car now, but all the skills and everything I have that went into it, I still have. And one day in the future, I will get the opportunity to do this again. And this was actually in an ETCG1 video. It's called Day With My Brother. But that was the day I sold that, that car, and the Fairmont is the realization after, you know, 20, 30 years of wanting to do exactly what I've done with the Fairmont. Okay. So it's not just the years, the, the three years that I put into the car, it's the, you know, 27 years before that that led up to that point where I wanted to do something like it. And, that, you know, I've got to admit, I'm addicted to it now. I'm, I'm addicted to solving those engineering problems. I'm addicted to just, you know, the cause and effect of, of the different things you do when you build and design a car. It's, I don't know. I, I just wish my welding was better, and <laughs> I wish I knew how to fabricate better. You know, these are all things I'm learning on the fly, but outside of that, I think overall my designs are solid. I really look, I'm ha very happy with my wiring, um, which I thought was a big deal. So, you know, I, I picked up a lot of new skills with that, and I'd like to do more. So, you know, and, and I think you, you made a comment through that. I don't know if the listeners caught it, but you took it and you wanted to do more with it. And I think that's what you've done with your YouTube channel, uh, your website. It, it kind of permeates through everything you've done that I've seen. Uh, you took something and wanted to make it more, do more with it. So I, I commend you on that. And, and that's a great thing. So I guess, do you have any hobbies other than the automotive industry? Oh, uh, let's see. You know, there are things that I used to do <laughs> before I started working on this Fairmont. <laughs> but, yeah, I, it's really consumed my life. Like, years ago, I used to play guitar, but mostly that was just to get girls. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've, I like to cook. I really like to cook. Maybe maybe that's probably the best thing. That's That's been the most consistent thing I've done outside of auto repairs. I, I do enjoy doing that. Um, I used to fish, but that was years and years ago. Um, I used to play video games a lot, but I just simply don't have the time for that anymore. And that's sad because I really, really liked doing that. Um, now I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to, to think of other things outside of that. I, I would say yeah. cooking is probably the, the go-to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then if I'm ever in the Cincinnati area, I'll have to check that out get a hold of you and see how good you are at that. Indeed. I, I will fire up the grill and, and make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, amazing 
things that's happened. I mean, in the last, uh, you know, since oh nine, the way YouTube is just blown apart and, uh, the, the value that is associated with YouTube, uh, I commend you on the success that you've, you've had. I mean, it, it didn't happen overnight and, and you had to work towards it. Uh, I mean, being familiar with editing and producing video, that's a very time consuming deal for four or five minutes of video. Uh, it eats up a lot and people don't understand that. Uh, I mean, I know my experience, uh, we used to shoot a, to get a four minute video. It wouldn't sometimes take us four hours, uh, just to shoot the video the way we wanted it and get the angles and, and get everything that we wanted in the video. And then on top of that, you've got to edit it. So, I mean, to have the amount of videos you've got out there, that was no small task. And, and, and you've devoted a lot of time to that. And, and I think the industry and I think the car driver, consumer, uh, should thank you also. So I, I thank you for that. But one thing, I mean, Eric, and I've enjoyed our time together. Uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, I, I may be in the Cincinnati area sometime and I want to see the Fairmont firsthand. I may give you a call and, and do that. I'm just a little ways from you, uh, three, four hours. So, you know, if I'm over that way, I, I would love to see the Fairmont. But I thank you for your time that you've devoted to us and, and your insight. And, and you, you've brought some points out that I need to step back and think about, uh, you know, in, in the direction of, of your pointing and your, your insight. One thing I want to ask before we get off here, if I was to have you at a local a group of high school students and you were going to be the keynote speaker, what would you tell them? And, and I'm not talking about just automotive students. You know, obviously you're still associated with automotive. And that's one thing that I think another thing that students need to understand, you have a passion for the automotive, but your passion isn't directly turning a wrench. Uh, It's providing that content, that needed content. So I think students miss the fact that there are other things other than standing under the vehicle with it dripping rain or snow down your back that are related to automotive that are important. So if you were going to do that keynote, what would, what would be the topic? Where would you go with it? Well, first, I want to respond to a couple of things that you said before that question, and I'll get to it if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the first thing is, is thank you for your kind words about my work and the effort that I put into it. And, yeah, I did work really hard, but I wouldn't be where I am without the fans who followed me and supported me and everything else. So they're equally important in that equation as well. But but I really do appreciate, you know, your, your input and your, you know, those those words very much. As far as the Fairmont goes um, and meeting up, one of my plans is once the car is finished, I, I want to drive it and drive it around the country. And I used to do annual meetups at my shop, but last year I got to the point where we were seriously at capacity, and I'm not sure we could ever hold something like that at my shop anymore just because we just don't have the space. Uh, so therefore, I thought about driving around and doing mini meetups around the country with the Fairmont. Uh, so that that may be something that could be coming near you, and you might not even have to make the trip. Now, to answer your question, it's interesting you say that because I'm sort of in this frame of mind anyway because I've been asked to be a keynote speaker at an automotive college uh, graduation coming up here in a few months. And so I'm sort of thinking along those lines, but you were talking more in general, say if I was in a high school or something, you know, advice that I would give. And if I look back at my life, if that's to serve any example, and honestly, it's really the only thing I have to draw on, you know, that's, that's quote unquote real. It's that there are ups and downs, but the point is to never give up. 
And if you're passionate about something, then follow that passion. And other people may tell you you can't or you won't or whatever, and you just have to know when to ignore them. Now, there are some times where they're being a little more realistic than you might be being, but that's that's sort of that line that you have to walk. You have to walk that line of being crazy <laughs> and being smart, and that's that's a really difficult balance to maintain. But stick with it. Stick to your dreams. And if you know, if there's no joy in what you're doing, there's no point in doing it. So do what you can just to find that joy in just the little things in everyday life. It's, it's, you know, success doesn't happen overnight, as you pointed out. It's, and video production doesn't happen overnight. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of time. So you just have to take those things one step at a time and know that you'll eventually get there. So don't rush. Enjoy what you got that's right in front of you and know that it's going to lead to something bigger. Very good words. Very good words. Very good words. So like I said, I mean, I, I've appreciated our time together. I look forward to, to future conversations, whether it be on a podcast recording or, or face-to-face. Uh, I know I've got some schools out in your area that are kind of requesting some training from Technician Academy. And, and uh, as soon as I are a, am able to, to fit those into the schedule, we'll, we'll be out there doing some training. But kind of along the lines of the keynote, what closing thoughts do you want the listener to take away from this podcast about Eric the Car Guy? Um, it's, uh, that's, that's a tough question. I, I just, if, if there's any advice or anything that helps them, that, that's what I hope for. You know, if, if there's something that helps them, run with it. You know, that's, that's the main thing that I can think of outside of, you know, what I just said about the, the keynote thing. It's, it's hard to think of anything outside of that. That, yeah. that I think, that's a lot of how I feel. All right. Well, great. Great. And like I said, Eric, I've enjoyed it. Enjoy seeing the Fairmont on the road. I'll be looking forward to that. Uh, how many how many videos are we up to on the Fairmont, roughly? Uh, yesterday was day 49. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that's definitely uh, been a consuming project. Um, yeah, and that's kind of why I stepped away from, from posting to Eric the Car Guy. That's one of the reasons I stepped away from posting to that so that I could finish the car. And the hope was to get it done this week. Like I said, it's all assembled. It's just got no spark, and I think I know why that is. In fact, I'm going to try to nail that down for sure after the, we get done with this conversation. All right. Well, that's great. That's great. And uh, so I, I do wish you a, a, a good experience with that, and hopefully you, you find the problem quickly and, and solve it, and you're driving around the block today. So, uh, But I thank you for your time. I thank you for all your insight, and, and I look forward to uh, getting this podcast out to the to the listener and, and bringing your insight to them so thank you for that other than that any closing words from you no just thank you for this opportunity i really appreciate it this was a great interview thank you well thought out questions and I, I appreciate all your input on my work and the efforts that i put into it it's it's nice to be appreciated so thank you for that oh you're, you're quite welcome so until we meet again eric uh i'll let you go and, and good luck that's a plan be safe have fun stay dirty all right be safe all right see you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Technician Academy podcast brought to you by Extend Performance. Don't forget to visit us online at technician.academy. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Technician.academy, built to educate.